The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. everyone this is Mary Woods and I'm your host today and I apologize for us running a little bit late our guest um, had an emergency and was not able to call in so um, we wanted to have our show today and we're very lucky um, to have Laura Smith with us who is an LCSW she's a certified alcohol counselor addictions counselor and she's a certified um, employee assistance professional who was willing to be very adaptable and jump in at the very last moment to um, be on the show with us today. And um, just to tell you a little bit about Laura, Laura has had uh, an extensive career um, working at um, the care and treatment centers, um, Phoenix House Foundation, the retreat at Lancaster. She's also done um, private practice psychotherapy and interventions. She was the director of International Employee Assistance Program for the ITT Sheraton Corporation, um, as well as a number of other uh, very renowned organizations. She is a graduate of Skidmore College, um, the Hunter School of Social Work, and um, she has also uh, attended the New York State Psychiatric Institute at Columbia University. So um, I just want to thank you, Laura, for jumping in at the very last moment on your very first day of work at Westbridge to um, help us with our radio show. Happy to. Um, you know, I think uh, there, there are so many things in terms of um, challenges and opportunities with um, in this profession in terms of working with people with mental illness and substance use disorders. And um, one of the things that comes to mind um, is how, how broad the term co-occurring disorders is and how difficult it is for families who are looking for treatment. And I'm just wondering, based on your experience, um, what are the what are things families could look for? Because they see co-occurring disorders or they see dual disorders on websites, but oftentimes um, what's on a website doesn't really reflect the treatment that um, that agency prescribes. So do you have any advice for families that are looking for treatment for co-occurring disorders? Yes. Um, as you say, it's such a broad and I think a bit overused term now. You know, so many treatment, primarily chemical dependency treatment centers, are now helping people with co-occurring disorders, but they may be disorders that are not of schizoaffective, schizophrenic, with psychotic features. They are people who can be maintained fairly regularly on a med schedule. Um, They're not having psychotic episodes. They don't tend to be 
harmful to themselves. They may have had a history of that, but not kind of on a regular basis. So I think everybody now wants to treat co-occurring disorders, and I think the reason for that is that we now know that people are coming in with a more complicated history. People are using substances earlier, you know, in the old days of treatment. We talked about rehabilitation because you were rehabilitating usually an adult who had some uh, history of job or family or, you know, social interactions. And now with people starting to use chemicals at, you know, age 11, uh, has been quoted as an average, you know, you're sort of having to habilitate people from the ground up and the adolescent brain isn't grown and the judgment centers of the brain aren't matured until the age of 25. So I think, and with the designer drugs and things that we're seeing, there's the biological component and then there's a huge environmental component. Um, so I think families need to, you know, check with their own psychiatrist. I don't think the Internet is frequently the best place to look for help because it's, everybody tends to think that what's on the Internet is true, but in fact that's not always the case. So I think you want to find a really good mental health provider that you've been working with, um, you know, kind of look around, um, I think a facility like Westbridge, there are very few of because we treat people who have very complex situations uh, and a very loving atmosphere. And, you know, to to put people in just a standard 30-day program, you can stabilize people, but then what happens afterwards? And most of them don't have family programs because they're, you know, having to rely on insurance. Right. And I think... For, for people who are out there, for families that are listening, it's really important to ask um, about a family program, if they have it, what it entails, and how much support the family gets throughout treatment and afterward. I think that for families, um, often they're looking for help in the time of crisis. So it's not always the best time to be looking for um, treatment because you're in crisis and you're not always able to hear what people are saying or or oftentimes things get misinterpreted. And I, and I think the ethics of the behavioral health care profession, um, there are some very ethical uh, programs out there, but there's some very unethical behaviors that families also need to kind of be aware of. And um, for instance, there are, uh, I, I don't know the actual technical term for it, but like if you live, let's say, in... Um, Kansas City and you go on the internet and you look for, you know, addiction or mental health treatment in Kansas City, you'll get an 800 number, but it's really a program in California or on the East Coast and um, they'll say they'll, they'll connect you to a treatment program, but it'll be a treatment program not in your area. And um, right. I know there are other places that have actually taken over people's 800 numbers and co-opted mm-hmm. them as well. So I think it's really important that families um, do a lot of uh, due diligence before they um, sign on the dotted line. Uh, absolutely. And I think the point that you make about family involvement is absolutely key. You know, people have the best outcomes when there is family involvement. Uh, many of the rehabs, like, uh, well, Hazelden has a family program in Marworth and some of the straight chemical dependency rehabs um, have had family programs or have vestiges of family programs, but, you know, with 
with the financial situation and reimbursement for care, a lot of them dropped them. And what used to be a week-long inpatient family program is now down to maybe a day or an afternoon. And I think that's really unfortunate um, because yeah, family involvement is so key. Well, and we know that for people that have co-occurring serious mental illness and substance use disorders, when families are involved, the outcome is better. There are less hospitalizations. And, you know, what I always tell folks is that the family was with this individual before they got sick, and they're going to be with them long after the episode of treatment that we happen to interact with them. And they need the skills and they need the support to continue to support their loved one as with any chronic illness, whether it was diabetes or hypertension or they had somebody had a, a stroke or something. So I think it's important for families to understand that you need to go, you need to understand what skills you need in order to help um, communicate effectively with, with the person that has the co-occurring disorders or to help problem solve um, around situations because there's always more than one solution. I think when families get entrenched into do this or else, that's when there's a lot of resistance and that's where there's a lot of turmoil within the family. And I just think it's important for families to know that there's always more than one way to get something done. Well, and the other thing is mental health issues have been so stigmatized as have chemical dependent as has chemical dependency. But you know, nowadays anybody you're treating who has chemical dependency who's probably under 60 years old is going to have some form of co-occurring disorder. And the reason that we know that is because, you know, in the old days, you know, people were just alcoholics. But it was in response to the tremendous cocaine epidemic that we saw in the 80s that we began to learn more about brain chemistry and what locks fit what keyholes in the brain. And we have so much, you know, uh, mental illness now that we can identify and, you know, so that it shouldn't be such a stigma. It's just, you know, if you break your leg, you go and you get a cast. If you have a mental illness, it's just more difficult sometimes because it affects our behavior in a way that a broken leg doesn't. And that can get confused with a person's personality. It's hard sometimes for families, particularly to separate the person from the illness. So they really need that family education. Even though- right, and we'll be right back after this commercial um, with more of our show today. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Running is one of the fastest-growing sports, with everyday people stepping it up and training for that next big race goal. The In-Flight Running Show with Coach Michael Merlino is your guide to running, whether you're just getting started or training for the Boston Marathon. 
by paying attention to and following the tips offered by Michael and his guests, you'll be able to take your running to new heights and reach your next finish line with confidence. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and once again, I wanted to share with you that Sam Drescher, our uh, guest today, was not able to call in, and we are very fortunate that on our very first day of work, we have found um, Laura Smith has agreed to uh, um, substitute for for Sam, Um, and we're talking about a number of um, things that concern families and families looking for care for their loved one that has a co-occurring disorder. And just to remind you all, Laura has, um, she has a number of credentials. She's a licensed clinical social worker. She's a certified addictions counselor, and she's a certified employee assistance professional. And, um, you know, you were talking in the last segment, Laura, about the stigma and that um, people with co-occurring disorders, mental illness, and substance abuse um, they're subjected to, but they're also uh, subjected to a lot of discrimination. And I think that um, there's a lot of misconceptions about people with co-occurring disorders in the uh, 12-step community. I know that there are, um, in, in some areas, if you're on medication, then um, then you're allowed to talk about it. In other areas, if you're on medication, then you're not considered to be sober. And I'm just wondering, you know, how do families sift through all that and and what is the tradition around medication? Well, you know, again, as I said earlier, you know, we didn't know as much about mental illness and the axes of the brain as we do now. And years ago, um, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous was founded for people who were drinking too much, although the founder, Bill Wilson, suffered terribly from bipolar depression. And um, was probably also medicating himself by smoking cigarettes and unfortunately passed away ultimately from lung cancer. Uh, but he tried all kinds of things in order to help his depression, and we just didn't have those resources. As you know, Mary, I'm myself I'm a family member and had a younger brother, you know, who was schizophrenic. And you know, in the 70s and 80s, we didn't have anything, you know, at that time. And it's one of the reasons I have such a strong commitment to try to educate people, particularly around, I call it the grace of medication. You know, there's a line in AA's big book that says, sought through prayer and meditation. And I try to teach people that it's, sometimes it's sought through prayer and medication, uh, you know, to, to get better. And if people really, you know, comply with their medication, you know, they have a far greater chance of staying sober. Uh, you can't treat really one without the other. And I think in AA now, um, that attitude is slowly 
eroding an anti-medical, you know, medication attitude, probably because so many people in AA are on medication because by the time they get to treatment, they've been self-medicating from all kinds of affective uh, disorders and and biologically um, based disorders. And so we're able to treat more people now, but it's really because we've learned so much in the 80s and 90s about brain chemistry. Uh, and we continue to learn... Absolutely. Um, there's a wonderful book by Candace Pert, who was at National Institutes of Health, and she wrote a fabulous book called Molecules of Emotion. And she's the researcher who actually discovered the uh, neurotransmitter that gets triggered by heroin. Uh, and so she did some really groundbreaking research, and it's just an absolutely wonderful book. I highly recommend it to family members to take some of the stigma away. You know, it's biologically frequently based, and if you have a bad knee, you don't think much of it. You just go and get it fixed, or if you break your leg. But, you know, sometimes we have brain chemistry that, you know, is a little worn out or didn't get quite put together in the way that it should have. Fortunately, I think that, you know, modern science is just has so many blessings, you know, for not just the patients, but for the family members. And there's a big, you know, biological, you know, uh, bipolar is the most inherited condition we have in psychiatry. So, you know, there, there are these features that get passed. Sometimes they skip a generation. Sometimes, you know, it was Uncle Louie that everybody thought was a little odd, you know, and people were kind of classified or stigmatized or whatever. And now we know there are physical illnesses with emotional symptoms and some spiritual consequences. You know, I think it's so hard for families, um, you know, the, the families that um, certainly that we've had the privilege to work with and, and to get to know that um, for a lot of our families, it's, it's you know, your, your child gets, goes through adolescence and then they get to college and, you know, things begin to fall off track and, and there's, there's such isolation that occurs for a lot of our families that um, they mm-hmm. begin to socially withdraw because guess what, you know, my, my kid's now not being able to keep up with your child and, of course, the other person's child is the most amazing child in the world and has got all everything sure. um, super successful. And, and I think that um, this can be a very painful, lonely um, illness for families to have to endure and to cope with um, because both of these are biological brain diseases as you had said earlier and, um, but they, people don't see them as biological brain illnesses. I think there is another piece also which is family denial that can go the other way. You know, generally in our society as long as... It, particularly among certain socioeconomic and, and ethnic groups, if your child is doing well in school, then there's nothing wrong with them and that you tend to avoid getting them help because, you know, in your own family you stigmatize mental illness. And as long as they're succeeding, either at school or work or whatever, in the, in the external um, ways of the world, it's easier to deny getting them help longer, and then the illnesses have progressed a little further. Yeah, I think that I think that is true, and I think that also once families start to look for help, it's very confusing 
to find the, the right help or the most um, effective means to, to get someone help. I know a lot of our families have been told the tough love kind of model, um, you know, if you have these um, very significant consequences, well, if you have two biological brain disorders, there is no bottom for someone. Bottom is death, mm-hmm. and that we have to really mm-hmm. look at, in terms of when families are given these ultimatums of, you know, if you're enabling somebody, well, you're just trying to keep someone alive, and this is the best way you know how to do it. Um, we really try to reframe how people look at this, because um, if somebody has a significant brain disease, the part of the brain that um, affects judgment is, is impaired. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's not the same as dealing with a so-called somewhat healthier brain that just has um, one illness that they're dealing with. So I think it's really important for families to understand that, um, you know, uh, there are humane ways to have consequences for, for individuals and that you know, you do the best you can with what you know in the moment, but it's important to continually to educate yourselves, as you had said in the last segment, around, you know, being able to find websites and being able to find books to read. Um, I'm Not Sick, I Don't Need Help by Xavier, Dr. Xavier Amador is a great book, um, Stages of Change by Drs. Prochaska and De Clemente, which really help you understand the change process that in everybody goes through, whether it's, you know, taking medication or going to the gym or stopping drinking, we all kind of go through the same process. And there's just um, so many good references out there for families. Absolutely. And I think, you know, families frequently feel guilty. So it's somehow their fault, you know, and I think that, that, Clients, participants feel guilty because they think that somehow, you know, we tend in our society to think that, you know, mental illness and addiction are diseases that are your fault. And if you just straighten yourself out, then everything would be fine. Right. And if somebody could do better, they would do better. Well, and I think also um, because we're so illness-driven and deficit-driven that people begin to believe if they make a mistake, they are a mistake. You know, Absolutely. and people, people actually begin to feel like they're, they're the, they're the fault. It's not about having an illness. It's about once, as you said, it's blaming. I'm, I'm the person. There's something inherently wrong with me. When in fact you have a, a disease, that who you are as a person is still who you are as a person. It doesn't take away from that. No, and I, I think one of the things that, you know, Westbridge does so well in its model is to really focus on the hope and the recovery that's possible. Um, I, as you say, we're frequently, you know, deficit-driven, and we, even in the mental health profession, people tend to look at kind of what's wrong and needs to be fixed as opposed to what's right and can be built upon and I think that's probably true, you know, a better way to look at humans in general. I mean, I think we're all complex people. Some of us are just a little more complex than others. Exactly, exactly. And I think the other thing, too, is that, you know, everybody is, well, I shouldn't generalize, but most people are on this evolution of growth throughout their life. And I used to think, well, when I was 18, I'd have it all together, and I, and I didn't. <laughs> and then I thought, well, when I'm 21... I have it all together and I didn't. And I got to be 30 and I realized I'm never going to have it all together. And I kind of relaxed, you know, but it's like, it's just this ongoing life. It's just ongoing and we're continually growing and changing. And if not, we get pretty stuck and stagnant, but I don't know that anybody actually arrives. 
maybe the Dalai Lama. I don't Lama. think we, I haven't. <laughs> I haven't arrived. <laughs> I've arrived at way stations, but you know, certainly haven't arrived. It's it's a matter of, and I think also for families to just be willing to be open, you know, to um, be open to learning. And sometimes it's it's relearning because we all get as family members, we get to know each other, and we get entrenched in certain kinds of relationships and we end up sometimes with the identified patient who's the family screw up, you know, and everything organizes around that and that becomes, you know, what's wrong with this family and if we fix George or Sally, then we'll all be okay. And that's not in fact the case. You know, everybody needs help. It's a traumatized system. And it's no and we'll one be right person back at this commercial. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day, you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan. Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and I'm your host today. Our guest today is Laura Smith, who is a licensed clinical social worker, certified addictions counselor, and a certified employee assistance professional. Excuse me. And she has worked at the Retreat at Lancaster, Phoenix House Foundation, um, Karen Treatment Centers, Marworth, um, 
Gosh, we're, it's more like we're hitting oh. to work, but um, we're very, we're very uh, happy to announce that she's um, today is her first day at working at Westbridge, um, and she's in our business can be helping us with business development and um, consulting, and that's just great. And, you know, uh, our guest today was unable to attend. We just found out that he was stuck on an airplane and wasn't able to call in, but we hope to reschedule Sam at a later date. While we are not talking about um, addiction and mental health issues in family businesses and enterprises, we are talking about addiction and mental health issues in families. And, um, you know, there's, there's so much, I think, misinformation and misguided information that families have to sift through as they um, find treatment and they go through treatment. And there's a concept of relapse, which, um, you know, comes from basically from the addiction world. And um, back in the 70s and 80s, it was something that was talked about a lot. And as you mentioned earlier, Laura, we've learned more about the brain and how the brain works, and we know that there are certain um, triggers that we get associated with. Um, if uh, you know, if if I see uh, a pound of bacon, it immediately goes to bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwiches that my mother used to make. Um, I know for people who um, I used to work with back when cocaine was uh, very popular, they used to use a credit card to uh, straighten their lines of coke before they started it. So for a lot of people, a credit card is a trigger to go um, for using coke. You know, hearing somebody rip open a, a can of soda could also trigger somebody who used to rip open a lot of, a lot of beer using the same kind of mechanism. And we know that these are all chemical interactions in the brain and that um, there are certain triggers that we know that stress is a trigger for, and for both mental illness and substance use disorders. And I think it's important for families to understand that there are different there are different ways to look at when somebody has become symptomatic after a period of abstinence. And um, it, at Westbridge, we use the stages of change model to characterize how people change internally so that pre-contemplation is when I don't think I have a problem and it's the whole world around me that's the problem. So if I, if I change jobs or I move or I go to a different treatment provider, they're the issue, I'm not the issue. And then when people are in contemplation, um, that's when I begin to think, well, maybe I, maybe there is something to what everybody's saying, but um, I'll, I'll kind of think about it and learn about it, but my behavior is not going to change. So in contemplation, people often talk about changing, so we make an assumption that they're going to change, but they haven't made a decision to change. And the hallmark of contemplation is making a decision to change where you get into preparation, and preparation is that's where behavior changes and thoughts begin to change, and then action is a period of time when you're changing your behavior for six months and maintenance is after you've been changing your behavior for six months and you're into maintenance. And people often get um, labeled chronic relapsers because they're in that contemplation stage and and um, they've made a decision maybe to take medicine so they can get out of the hospital or they've made a decision to be abstinent so they can get out of probation. They haven't really internalized it's in their best interest to change. So I think for families... Get, get demoralized and discouraged because oftentimes people will um, go back to using substances, they'll go off their medications, and it isn't so much about a relapse as it is whatever that internal decision was to be on medicine or to be sober changed. And so we have to begin to understand relapse as something not necessarily as a downward um, 
spiral, but it's something that they can be, there can be interventions and people can get back um, on track. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that long-winded explanation. Well, it occurs to me that I think you're talking in the sense about two different kinds of relapse. You know, um, if you are relapsing, you know, as a person who's chemically dependent of alcohol or drugs, the picking up of the alcohol or the drug is the last piece of the relapse. The relapse really started a while before. Was it when you saw your friend Jack and then you were kind of thinking and then you went to this party and then you, and then eventually you did a whole lot of things that ended up, you know, but you had really kind of decided to pick up a long time earlier. Or maybe it was an instantaneous thing and you just found yourself there and all of a sudden somebody had a beer and you grabbed it. Well, you know, what were you not working in your programs of recovery that led you to that instantaneous moment? Were you not staying in touch, you know, with your treatment professionals, with your sponsors, going to your self-help meetings? You know, there, there are reasons for that. I think the other kind of relapse can be a more biological one, you know, if you have uh, schizophrenia or, you know, bipolar disorder, sometimes relapse can happen, um, you know, just biologically through, you know, it's not anyone's fault, it's just your chemistry changes and maybe your medication needs to be adjusted. And that's why I think, as, as you've said, Mary, that, you know, when you combine addiction with mental illness, you are particularly looking at a marathon, not a sprint. You know, people don't get just kind of fixed and go on. No, as with any chronic illness, um, there is no immediate fix. There is no magic bullet. And, you know, even in mental illness, we know that there are certain triggers that will... Um, that will cause somebody to become have more symptoms of mania or more symptoms of paranoia or more symptoms of delusions and that um, being able to self-monitor and know what those triggers are is essential. It's essential for families to understand for their family member what those triggers are, be it their mental illness or their substance use disorder. Well, I've always found contracts helpful. You know, um, I used to do it particularly when I worked with adolescents to have a contract with the family where the participant or patient at the time or whoever fills out, you know, if I'm heading toward relapse, what will I look like? What will I be saying and fill it out? Who will I be hanging around with? Fill it out. What will I be dressing like? What are, the, what are my signs and symptoms so that you will know that I am heading toward relapse? And have everybody sign it. Uh, and I think that kind of, you know, gives the client, you know, ownership and, and clarity for themselves. And then it shows the family members as well. Right. You know, so everybody's right. kind of on the same page. That, that's a great um, tool. We also um, use uh, Mary Ellen Copeland's Wellness Recovery Action Plan, and it's, it's designed for people with co-occurring disorders. So it even includes almost what would be in an advanced directive in terms of this is the hospital I want to go into. This, these are the medications I will take. These are the medications I won't take. This is who I want to be informed. This is who's going to take care of the dog. This is who's going to pick up my mail. Mm. So it, it's very empowering for both the individual and the family. And um, mm-hmm. once again, it's Mary Ellen Copeland, and it's Wellness Recovery Action Plan, and she's on the web. So um, 
That's a great, you're, you're, you were right, you're right on with that. That's great. Well, hers sounds even, you know, I'm going to have to take a look at hers again because hers, hers is even more comprehensive than, you know, what I said. So I would highly recommend that to families. Yeah, yeah. What do you think um, for, uh, for families who have um, the means for um, self-pay, and I know that's not the majority of our listeners, but for some of our, our listeners, um, how do they know when they're getting um, a good deal for their money? And I, that sounds, that's not the most tactful way to say that, but um, I'm trying to be strength-based here, so I'm just going to go out and say it, because I know in our experience, a lot of people with, um, that have means almost get, is, have, get taken advantage of as much as people that don't have means. And I think sometimes they're um, steered away from evidence-based care um, because they have money. And I'm just, um, what's been your experience with that? Am I just making an assumption based no, on No, I, I agree. You know, I think it's people. like any other thing that you're, you know, purchasing to try to, because it is, you know, there is money that's exchanged as a medium uh, you know, even in, in health and health care and mental health, you know, I, I look at a facility that may be, you know, $68,000 a month, you know, what is it that's there that you really need that's not at some other place? You know, I think that, you know, facilities with very exorbitant fees... You know, I just heard about one the other day that's just opened and it's going to be $78,000 a month. Now, I heard it has an ice cream bar. (laughs) Why do you need particularly an ice cream bar? You know, I mean, I think if you're the sort of person who values something by the most, if it's the most expensive for you, it's probably the best, I think you're going to be at highest risk of being taken advantage of. But I think you want to you know, look around and talk to other people. Ask, you know, when you're looking for a treatment center, ask if you can speak to someone whose son or daughter or sister or mother has gone there. Usually treatment centers will put you in touch with other family members. I would check with other family members and really, you know, I think especially in these days of social network shopping and comparing and whatever, we have easier access to finding people who've had good or not good experiences with just about anything. And I think, you know, just other people could be some of your best resources. And they may also lead you to good psychiatrists. And, you know, it's really important to do some due diligence so that even though you have the means that you're not, you know, taken advantage of in some way. And we'll be right back right after this commercial. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned 
common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's Westbridge.org, Family Center Recovery for Co-occurring Mental Illness and Substance Abuse Disorders. Do you know about Reiki? This method of healing can complement Western medicine as well as other alternative practices. Besides healing, it can have the additional effect of making you feel more positive about yourself and the world around you. By tuning into For the Love of Reiki with host Paula Vale, you'll find how Reiki can improve your health, bring balance into your life, and fill you with joy. For the Love of Reiki is broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods. I'm your host today, and our guest is Laura Smith, who is a licensed clinical social worker, a certified addictions counselor, and a certified employee assistance professional. And we've been talking about um, family issues that relate to families that have someone that have a co-occurring mental health and substance use disorder. And, you know, you had mentioned a little bit about, um, before we went to break, about the trauma that families experience as a result of these illnesses, and I, and, I, and I don't think we can underestimate or undervalue that families need support. I know oftentimes you think, well, um, Mary has a problem, so once Mary gets into treatment and gets better, then the family's going to get better, and that's really not how it works. It's just like with any other chronic illness. Um, families need ongoing support, and they need ongoing, um, they need to grow as well. So um, that illness has done something to the family system, and the family system, once that illness is treated in the individual, there's still a family system there that needs help and support. Um, what do you think about that, Laura? Absolutely. Um, I cannot stress enough, and I am on my soapbox frequently to families about getting help for themselves. You know, they, they tend to focus on an identified patient, and what happens is if you fix Joe or Sally, the problem doesn't necessarily go away. Another child may begin to act out in another way, may run away from home or get pregnant or... You know, if the family needs someone to be ill as the focus of attention, then that will manifest in another person in the family. So, you know, I think it's a lot harder for for family members, you know, the old terms codependence or, you know, whatever, uh, to, to realize that, you know, that they need help because the addict has their arms around the bottle and the family member has their arms around the client. And and uh, it's not necessarily a popular concept, but the truth is, I think the family member uh, gets, you know, at least in chemical dependency, gets as sick as the addict, sometimes sicker, 
because, uh, which they don't realize. Sometimes, you know, when I would work with couples, a couple would come in to see me and the man would be alcoholic and the wife would be acting out, you know, she'd be, you know, she'd look like the crazy one, you know, and it's because she's, he's getting some relief from the substance. She's not getting any relief. She's up all night wondering if his cars crash, if he's going to come home, you know, whatever. So the family members feel the stress that the patient is medicating, you know, through their addiction. I think that's right. And I think the families need to understand that there are multiple places where you can get support. There's a national alliance for the mentally ill. They have a family-to-family groups that are in most uh, communities, and there is a series of um, educational sessions that families go to that provide support. Um, There's Al-Anon. Um, there's also, uh, there's code, um, adult children of alcoholics. Yeah, adult children of alcoholics, codependence anonymous. And also, Al-Anon has particular meetings for parents. Because there is a different dynamic between parents and children than there is with spouses. Right. You know, or brothers and sisters. Uh, and so there are special parents' meetings. And you can find these on the internet. Um, they're all over. Um, Families Anonymous. Any way that the family can begin to uh, to get some help on their own, because it's going to be a marathon, not just for you know the patient, but for the family members as well. Everybody's got to recover over a long period of time. And there are a number of churches that offer uh, support for families that yep. have someone that have uh, mental illness and substance use disorders. Um, you know, there's also, um, and I just spaced it, there's another place for families to go as well. And I'll keep talking, Laura, because it, it'll come back to me. Um, okay. <laughs> I have that too. But, uh, um, there are some... There are some uh, treatment centers, chemical dependency treatment centers, that may not be appropriate for the kinds of patients that we see, but they do have programs that family members can go to, week-long family programs that do a lot of uh, work, family work, where you don't have to have a patient in treatment. Karen Treatment Centers has one. Uh, Clearbrook has one. You can just go and get help for yourself as a family member, though you may not have someone in treatment. And it can be an adjunct to everything else you're doing or, you know, just as other homework while you have someone here, you know, at Westbridge. The more you can get in terms of ongoing help. And, um, you know, we have found in the addiction field alone that if you have one addicted parent, your chances of being an alcoholic, if you have an alcoholic parent, are 50%. If you go to uh, two alcoholic parents and alcoholics tend to marry each other, your chances before you ever pick up a drink go to 90%. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to become an alcoholic, but you have a 90% genetic load. If somebody told me I had a 90% genetic load for cancer, I'd be pretty worried. And I would try to do whatever I could. So, there's again, there's a big biological component, and usually we don't find just one family member, you know, who has issues that, you know, that need help. You know, maybe dad or mom need to look at their use of alcohol or painkillers or, you know. And I think that's one of the reasons why sometimes 
you know, family members who are addicts and or sometimes mentally ill tend to hide behind each other. I'm not as bad as George, so maybe nobody will pay attention to me. We'll just focus on George and get him help. Right, right, until George gets help, and then all of a sudden the light gets shined on you. So um, that that, that only works for a period of time. But I also think there's another phenomenon that I've seen over and over again, that once one person in the family gets into recovery, the rest of the family gets into recovery, and there's this amazing turnaround for the family, which is so enriching and and healthy and viable, and it's it's really a gift. I think uh, recovery from... Anything is a gift, but especially from mental illness and substance use disorders. Well, you know, I've, I've been in 37 years of recovery, and uh, my stepmother got me into recovery after she got into recovery, and then my younger brother got into recovery, and he's actually running a treatment center. And he ended up in the Bowery Men's Shelter on crack. So having already been to treatment one time and then he went out to another treatment center and spent a lot of time out there and spent a lot of time longer than they usually kept anybody in a halfway house and then ended up, you know, he'd been, you know, at a university, you know, getting a philosophy degree and he started to get, you know, take some mental health courses and he's got a doctorate and uh, running a treatment center. And I think that just goes to kind of underscore our whole hour today in terms of, you know, recovery is there. It's possible. Um, Do your due diligence. Look for um, places that have family programs. Look for places that treat people humanely and um, ask to speak to someone who's already been through the treatment program so you know exactly what you're getting into. And, Laura, I want to thank you so much for, at the very last minute, um, agreeing to be on the show today with very little preparation. And um, thank you so much. (laughs) It was wonderful. And I hope everybody listening has a wonderful week. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.